right, girls, let me pray for us and then we'll get ourselves focused and start today. Father, thank you again for these women. I just, I'm so grateful, Lord, that they're coming every week and, and Lord, you're bringing new women that I get to meet every week. And so I'm, I'm really grateful. And Lord, that's, um, just signifies that we want to hear from you, Lord. We want to know you. We want to know what you're doing in our midst. We want to understand your ways. We want to understand who Yahweh is. And so, Father, I just ask today, you tell us in Scripture that when two or more are gathered in your name, that you are among us. And so we're just trusting and believing that today, and we're excited that you want to speak to us. So we just ask that you would come and do that. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, girls, so I'm... I'm really growing in my teaching skills, and so I have a visual for us today and a flip chart, so I don't know. I just, I don't even know who I am anymore. Um, I don't know. Last week, we started this series, and we started it post-Harvey, and so part of it is, part of what we're doing is walking out of the greatest, it's what I understand, it's the greatest flood in U.S. history. We had 52 inches of rain, and we're walking out of this thing together. And so whether you are displaced because your house got flooded and you're living with people, or whether you're taking people in because they got displaced, or you may just be bringing meals regardless, you've driven down a street full of debris and trash on some sweet person's yard, and you've experienced the aftermath of Harvey. And so last week I was talking about the fact that we're all kind of, none of us are on, um, just not all pistons are firing right now. I think we have a little bit of PTSD that floats in the air right now after such an event. But I also am aware that some of us are foggy and not all firing because of other things in our lives, because of cancer, because of illness, because of children that just won't get right, because of a marriage that's hard, because of a job that's not going the way you want it to. Throughout our lives, there are seasons that we encounter, that we walk through that are difficult. And what I'm loving is that collectively, it feels like we are all walking together. Look at how cute she is. She just likes to come up and pinch my rear every now and then. <laughs> so I was praying and I was, I was talking to you guys and talking to women in my town where I live in Friendswood and everyone kind of saying the same thing. It's just like, it just feels like it's foggy and my mind isn't totally clear. I haven't slept well and it just seems more difficult. And so I was praying about that. And the Lord led me to this passage in Amos that I think it was one of those things where it's like, that's what I'm, that's what I'm experiencing. Amos 9, 9, it's on your listing guide. It says, for I, the Lord saying, for I will give the command and I will shake Israel along with the other nations as grain is shaken in a sieve, yet not one true kernel will be lost. Let me read that again. Amos 9, 9 says, For I will give the command and I will shake Israel along with the other nations as grain is shaken in a sieve, yet not one true kernel will be lost. Now that word shake in Hebrew is nu'ah, nu'ah, and it also means sift, to shake or to sift. Have any of y'all, you know, last week I was saying I feel like that, that blow-up guy at the Verizon store whose feet are planted, but he's shaking back and forth. I saw one on the way home last week, and I loved it. It cracked me up. But, but some of you may feel that way too, that you're shaking right now. You're a little shook up, and you may be um, in a sifting season. Let me tell you about this. The Lord 
either orchestrates, I'm just going to whip this around today, he either orchestrates sifting seasons in our lives or he allows them to come into our lives. In Luke 22, Peter, who was one of the disciples, is talking to the Lord and the Lord interrupts him and Jesus says to Peter, whose name was formerly Simon, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've not turned back, I mean, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So what we're seeing here is in Amos, the Lord says, I'm going to give the command. I'm going to sift Israel. But not one true kernel is going to fall to the ground. And then in Luke 23, I mean, in Luke 22, we see the Lord and Jesus, we see him say, Satan has asked to sift you like like wheat and I'm going to allow it. So if you find yourself in a sifting, shaken up season where not everything is clear, you don't feel as sturdy as you once felt, it can be a ton of different reasons that bring it about. But the experience is similar to all of us. If you find yourselves in that season, you can better believe this is the Lord is going to use it for your good. It will not be in vain and not one true kernel is going to fall to the ground. So I want us to look at this for a little bit, what it means to be sifted. Now, y'all, we call this a strainer, but did y'all know on YouTube it's really called a sieve? So I looked at it, and I'm going to shake it all over. But this is what it feels like to be shaken. It doesn't feel good. I don't want to be shaken. But when the Lord sifts me, he shakes me. And he's doing it because the, the actual definition of sifting, I have two for you. One says to put a fine, loose, or powdery substance through a sieve so as to remove the lumps or large particles. Two says this, to examine something thoroughly as so to isolate that which is important and useful. What I believe the Lord does through sifting is he separates The lies from the truth. He separates what is not useful in my life so that that which is useful rises to the top and remains. Do you see what's happening when I poured this in here? We didn't even see these big lumps. But as I'm shaking and as I'm sifting, what's not going to fall through the cracks is coming to the surface. And that's what the Lord does in our lives, ladies, when he allows us to go through a sifting season. It's never comfortable. Don't ever think that it's going to be comfortable. You don't, none of us like to be shaken up. But God always uses it. And in his goodness toward you and toward me, he allows it or he orchestrates the sifting to happen. I am in a sifting season right now. Why? Because I've got double the number of people in my house and not any double number of space. And so the Lord is sifting me. And what's falling off is selfishness, self-centeredness. No, this is my space. This is the way I like to spend my mornings. I want everyone to go away. I don't want anyone to work from home. No. The Lord is sifting me and teaching me what it means when I actually said, Lord, this house is yours when we bought it 15 years ago. This is your house. He's like, really, Laura? All right. Sift. Let's sift. It's good. It's good. Is it comfortable? No, it is not. But it is good because I'm realizing what remains, he says this in Job 23.10. He says, when the Lord has tried you, or when he has tested you, or when he has sifted you, you can better believe that you will come forth as pure gold. 
you will come forth as gold. This is supposed to be gold, y'all. I'm so not crafty. So I, was, I just gave up on the other rocks. I was like, I don't care if they're yellow or not. You'll come forth as gold. So if you find yourself in a sifting season, take heart. Take heart. Because one, it's not going to last forever. And B, you're going to be better for it. And most importantly, if you will allow the Lord to have his way in your life. Now, here's the thing. I can shut down and I can just sit down in all this and go, I'm not going to let you sift me. I'm just going to sit in it all. And you resist the Lord. You can do that. You're just going to be cranky. You're just going to carry all this stuff with you that weighs you down. All the stuff that the Lord is trying to free you from, that he's trying to sift out, sift off, strip out of your life. You can choose to do that, or you can say, okay, what are you doing, Lord? You've got my attention. What is it you want to do in my life? I'm going to let you do it. I'm going to trust you. So that's where we're headed today, is that I believe that most of us, certainly in a community, Houston and the surrounding areas, we're in a sifting season. And boy, we're realizing really quickly what needs to go and what needs to stay. Just practically speaking, I remember on that first night when the heavy rains fell after Hurricane Harvey and we were running into people's homes and helping them get out, every woman wanted to grab what? What were the things that she, most important that you wanted to grab? Photos, for sure. Photos. Women are like, grab my photos. One woman said, I I need my Bible. I want to go get my Bible. But there were maybe three things that I kept hearing women say. Photos, a Bible, and maybe some important documents, something like that. Everything else really quickly came into perspective. It's just not critical. It's just not critical. Is it important? Does it mean something? You better believe it does. But some of this stuff, uh uh-uh. And after I saw that happen, I went into my own house and just started purging, sifting. I was like, good grief, I have so much stuff and I need so little of it. And the Lord's doing that in my soul. He's purging things in my soul that I carry that I don't need. Self-centeredness, entitlement, impatience. And so that's what the Lord is doing in a sifting season. It's not in vain. And so what I want to do, we started last week and we started talking about Exodus chapter 3 and we were looking at Moses. And when Moses encountered the Lord through the burning bush and he said, I've heard the cries of my people. They are burdened and heavy laden and I want to walk them into freedom. I'm going to sift them though. We're going to walk through a wilderness season and it's going to be a sifting season because I want them to know who I am. And so he's talking to Moses and he says, now go, go tell the people that the Lord Yahweh's heard their cries. And this is what Moses said. We're going to pick back up in Exodus 3. Just listen to me because I um, had about 14 different messages until nine o'clock on Monday night. And so I didn't have all the scripture for you on your listening guide. But if you'll just listen to me as I read along, you'll remember this if you were here last week or if you watched the video. Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses protests the Lord. The Lord's asked Moses to be the leader of this stiff-necked group of people and lead them into freedom. And Moses is like, uh, uh, I don't want to do it. And God's just asking me to share my space. And Moses protests and he says, okay, if I go to the people of Israel and I tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? 
Well, then what should I tell them? And if you remember last week, we talked about what this means, what is his name in Hebrew, and it means Mashemo. It doesn't mean Miashimka. Miashimka meant just tell me what your name is. If I ask Sylvia, what's your name? She says, Sylvia, that's all Mia Shimka is. But if I say, Sylvia, Mashimo, I'm saying, Sylvia, pull back the curtains and tell me who you are. What do you love? What is your character like? What's important to you? And so Moses is saying, okay, if I go to the people, they're going to ask me, who sent you? What is his name? What should I tell them? And then God replies to Moses in verse 14, and he says, here's what you tell them. And he says three times the same thing, essentially. First, he says, you tell them, I am who I am. That means who I am is who I always will be. I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. Verse 15, then, God also said to Moses, okay, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. And then he says at the end, he says, this is my eternal name, meaning this is my name forever and ever, forever and ever, my name to remember for all generations. This is who it is. I am has sent me to you, is what Moses was told to say. I am. And so we will skip over to to chapter 34 and we'll, we'll sit there a couple weeks this semester and we'll look at really when the Lord peels back the curtains and says, this is what Yahweh, I am, really means. And he'll talk about his character. And I mentioned that last week, compassionate, gracious, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, faithful. But today what I thought, I just really believed the Lord was leading me to do is we need to pause before we get to his character traits specifically and we just need to talk for a minute about Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Who is the God of Christendom? Who is the God that we follow? Who is the God of the scriptures? Yahweh. Well, for me as I was going through it, there's just no way possibly that I could begin to describe Yahweh because my mind is finite and he's so big, but I'm going to do my best. And I'm going to talk about six different characteristics of Yahweh because here's the, the tendency that I find in Western America is that if we fill out any kind of form or survey and it, we're asked our religious affiliation, and if you choose to check Christian, typically do, I don't know what it is now, but that's a number I saw, that the majority, if we all check Christian, what does that really mean? What does that mean? Does that mean I'm a good person? Who do I follow? Does that mean I know who Jesus is? What does it mean? If I say I'm a Christian, what I'm communicating is I follow Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant God. And so I want us to look for just a little bit about who Yahweh is. And of course, I'm not prepared. Am I off the camera now? There I am. Back again. Look at that. Back again. It's a crazy show here. Okay. So we're going to look at green. So here's, oh, there's some, oh, look, somebody loves me. So here's what we're going to look at for just a minute. I want you to stay with me. This is not on your listening guide, but you can follow along or you can write this down if you want. I want to look at just um, some trends that we see um, as far as how we who follows the Lord and not Yahweh, but just religious affiliations, if you will. There's something that you've probably heard called polytheism. Polytheism. 
And here's what this looks like. Here's what polytheism is. You can just draw, this. these are supposed to be mountains right here. And so here's me, little old me down here. And here are the gods of choice. And I don't know who they are. You can have Yahweh as one, Buddha. You can have um, Allah. You can have Zeus is one. You can have all sorts of saints sometimes. You can have, um, gosh, I don't know. You can have that tree outside. But polytheism is the belief or the understanding that people hold that there are lots of gods, and essentially the journey's the same, is that here I am, and my goal, whichever God I, just take your pick, say I come over to Yahweh, my job is to try and reach Yahweh. My goal is to climb the mountain, if you will, to the God of my choosing. That's what polytheism holds, is that they're all pretty much equal, um, and they have different roads that lead to them, and they, they vary some. But we're all going to increase our enlightenment. We're going to increase our service, whatever our good works are. But the end goal is that we reach the top of the mountain and we get closer to God. That's polytheism. Now, here's another belief that's widespread these days, and it's called uh, it's universalism. You'll see this on... Uh, lots of celebrities. This is something that I would I would um, suggest that some great celebrities that you might hear, Oprah, um, some other ones that that are that have very loud, prominent voices, would subscribe to this. And this is that you've got Christianity, you've got Buddhism, you've got Islam, you've got Hindu, you've got um, gosh Jewish, you've got uh, just name it. You've got Wiccan. You've got, you just, they all are, they're all kind of lumped together under the same mountain. And the goal is, or the thought is, is that all roads will really lead to one. So if God, and God is whoever you name him to be, it can be that too. You've got a lot of folks in this, that subscribe to this that would say they're spiritual but not religious. New age. And, and the thought with universalism is that really we're all going to wind up at the same place. So it just doesn't matter what you call your God. You can call him um you can call him even a, a descriptive word. You can call him love. You can call him patience. You can call him that tree. You can call him yoga. You can call him Hindu. You, whatever it is you subscribe to. But essentially, I'm deciding and defining who God is. And eventually, I know that, that, that I'll figure it out and I'll get myself there some, some way. But all roads lead to one is kind of a, um, a quick way to summarize universalism. And here's what monotheism is. Monotheism, and here's how I like to view it as a, as a Christian. Jesus, Yahweh, is here. And then you've got the other mountains like I've drawn before. And you've got Buddhism and Islam and all the Hindu and Jew, whatever they all are, down here. They're, the philosophy for, for them is still the same, is that I'm here... And I'm increasing in my journey toward God. I'm continually getting closer and closer throughout my life. But it really rests on me. Now, I may receive some help, but essentially, I'm striving to get closer to God. Now, Yahweh, Christianity, believes this, is that, that Yahweh understood that we're feeble and that we cannot get to God. And that our best works are still tainted with sin. Scripture says our best works are like that of filthy rags. It's not a shaming term. It's just reality. 
is that I missed the mark. And so Yahweh, Christianity, is different in the sense that we invert the mountain and Jesus, Yahweh, through Jesus, comes down to us. Comes down to us. And he rescues me. He saves me through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for sin, and he saves me. So monotheism is this, and this is the the best way I, I like to look at it because I think it describes the truth of Christianity the best, is Yahweh comes down to us. And so I say that just so that we can get on the same page. We don't have to agree. You may, not, you may disagree with this. But get on the same page is that we all know where I'm coming from, the teacher today. And the teacher is saying monotheism, Yahweh, according to the scriptures, he comes down and he saves us. I don't have to get to him on my own because I can't. So he comes and he rescues us. So that's the Yahweh that we're going to talk about today. That's the Yahweh found in Scripture that I think when you and I find ourselves in a sifting season, you know, when it's easy and life is bebopping along, I don't sit and ponder this as much. It's not that I don't think about Yahweh and wonder and ask questions, but what I find in my life, and I'm sure you do in yours, and the conversations I'm I'm having a ton of lately would certainly highlight this, is that when I'm in a crisis and I'm being squeezed and I'm being sifted, I want to know what's true. I want to know what's true. What do I really believe? And what really is true about the God that I claim to follow, Yahweh, Jesus? What is true? And so I, in no way, shape, or form, am going to give a complete picture today. But I'm going to do my best to take a stab at a few um, characteristics that would describe Yahweh so that we can all start from the same spot. That we know, okay, this is Yahweh who I'm crying out to. This is the God of the Bible. And the first thing that I want us to know about this God, Yahweh of the Bible, is very simple, but one is he exists, is that he actually exists. He actually really is real. He exists. And the reason I say that, it may sound so simple, but Hebrews eleven six says this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's Hebrews eleven six. Anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Now, why do I say that? Because I think a lot of us will check Christianity on a survey, but we really don't. It's not that I would deny him, but I really don't believe him in the sense that it impacts my life, that it makes a difference. I'll give you an example I read that one commentator said that I thought was good. He said, when I was in school, I learned that water and air that I breathe, I think, I think I need, I, see, this is the thing, I don't even know if I'm getting this right, but that it's filled, it's H2O, it's hydrogen, right? It's hydrogen, hydrogen's water, vapor, I, it's embarrassing. H2O, water. Seriously, seriously. Anyway, hydrogen exists. So I was taught that enough, obviously, as you can see, just to regurgitate it on a test. And then I never thought about hydrogen again until today, until yesterday. I taught yesterday. But, but when I walk outside or when I take a deep breath, I'm not thinking about hydrogen. The same can be true in our lives. I'll check, yes, I'm a Christian on a survey, but that's about as far as it goes. I don't live my life. I don't wake up in the morning 
and I'm crying out to Yahweh, and I'm asking, Yahweh, how do you want me to spend the day? What do you have for me today, Yahweh? Yahweh, the God that created everything, that's the God I'm following today. How impactful is Yahweh in your life? I can tell you this, it's never because he doesn't want to be impactful. If Yahweh has very little impact on my life, it's probably because I've not allowed it. And usually I don't allow it because I just don't really believe it. I remember for years, Jason and I tried to have children. We were trying to have babies. And so many women, and I also was a Diet Coke fiend, loved Diet Coke. So many women would come and say, if you would just stop drinking Diet Coke, you would get pregnant. I had multiple women say that to me. I didn't stop drinking Diet Coke. Why? Because I didn't believe that. Now, is, that tr- is it true or not? Probably, it probably is true. I don't drink Diet Coke anymore, but because I, I hear it's really bad for you. But for a long time, I was like, I just don't really believe it. I have friends that sell all sorts of skincare products, and they're like, you, your face would be so tight if you would just use this. <laughs> and I'm like, first, how much is that? I don't believe it. Maybe I believe it works. Maybe I've seen before and after pictures, but I don't have the financial resources to buy it. And if I did, I just don't care enough. And so it's not going to impact my life. The same is true with Yahweh. Now, I, I don't deny that he exists, but what kind of impact does he have on my daily life? And so the first thing Yahweh wants us to know about him is hey, I'm here, I exist. I want to be involved in your life, so much so that I'm the God that comes down to rescue you. I'm Yahweh, the creator of the universe, and yet I want to be involved in your life. Number two, he exists. Number two is he's eternal and he's unchangeable. This is something about Yahweh that's important to know, is that he never had a beginning. There's never a beginning with Yahweh. He's eternal. That means there's nothing that comes behind him. If you look at my life, you'll see what came behind me are Carlin and David, my parents. And then you'll see what came behind them, their parents. And you can look at our family tree and you can trace it back pretty far, the origin. God doesn't have a family tree that comes behind him. It all goes from him and flows out of him. And so that's something that is encouraging to me, is that I follow a God that always has been. I am. I am. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, in the beginning, but what it's talking about, in the beginning, he was already here. It's not like in the beginning, God, poof, something happened, and then he existed. He's always existed, and he's unchangeable. He's always the same yesterday, today, and forever. In Malachi 3, 6, God says, I, Yahweh, Yahweh, I don't change. Therefore, Oh, sons of Jacob, you're not consumed. I, Yahweh, I don't change. So if he was compassionate and gracious then, he's compassionate and gracious today. That alone is a relief to me. He never changes. He's not temperamental. He's not fussy. He never, ever changes. He never changes. If he felt like I was worth saving, and years ago he intended for Jesus to come down. He still believes that today. And so if there's someone in your life that doesn't know the Lord and you think they're too far gone or that somehow the Lord has written them off, he never changes. He never changes. He's always forgiving. Always. For God so loved the world that anyone that believes in him, anyone, anyone that believes in him, 
will not perish, but have eternal life. He never changes. He's the Alpha and the Omega. And number three, he's incomprehensible. He's incomprehensible. That means I can't figure him out. And boy, is that frustrating, is it not? I cannot figure him out. What does that mean? That means he's not predictable. So the way he, he um, deals with me in my life is different than the way he might deal with Julie in her life. He's not predictable. He's uncontainable. I cannot put him in a box as much as I want to. And boy, especially in our Western world, we love to put him in a box. And I'll tell you what's in the box. He likes hymns. He doesn't like this contemporary stuff. And another thing in my box, he likes these types of people, but he doesn't like these. Is He's definitely Republican. And I'm not saying in my box, but you know what? We, we do that. We put God in a box and we ascribe things to him. We're like, this is who God is like. And every day God blows the walls off that box and says, Laura, I am uncontainable. And so for me, to try and even describe him today, I'm just using the scriptures. Lord, who do you say that you are? In Isaiah 55, it says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways. And my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. So if I come to the Lord, I must come accepting him just as he is. This wild, uncontainable, unexplainable God that loves me. Y'all read, you uh, probably have read C.S. Lewis, The Chronicles of Narnia. Aslan the lion is the Christ figure. And they're about to approach him. And one of the, I'm not going to get the names right. Maybe it's Susie. I don't know. Is about to approach him. And she's talking to Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And she's going, ooh, it's a lion. I didn't realize he was going to be so big and so fierce. And it's a lion. I don't know. Is he safe? And they laugh and they look at her and they say, oh, goodness, no, child. He's not safe. But he's good. And we're going to talk about his goodness next week. But today we have to understand that Yahweh is not safe. He's not safe in the sense that I cannot wrangle him. I don't get to call the shots. He's uncontainable, uncontainable. And so when things don't go my way and my sister's house floods and she's displaced and my friends are begging for FEMA to call him back, I ask the question, Lord, why? But why this? Why this with these people? They were already struggling. I don't get to get the right tidy answer that I want all the time. I don't get him to do what I want him to do. I just have to go, Lord, you are uncontainable. I don't know, but here's what I do know. This sifting season for them, it's not going to be in vain. You're going to show up. You are going to show up. And we're going to talk about that more next week, but he is incomprehensible. He is uncontainable. He's unfathomable. I will never figure him out. I just get to receive from him. Four is he's the creator of all things. And I've kind of hit on this, but I think it bears repeating. In Isaiah 40, 28, it says, Yahweh is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And he does not grow faint or he does not grow weary. I like to think of it this way, is that he's everyone's charging station. 
He never needs to be plugged in anywhere. He does not grow faint. He created it all. He created it all. You know, when people nowadays, it's very popular to talk about God in terms of the universe. The universe, the universe brought it to be. Whatever, the Lord created the universe. Yahweh created, that's what he says about himself. He created the universe. Every good and perfect gift flows from the Father of lights. In Colossians 3.17, it says, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is before all things. There's no beginning with Him. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. That passage is talking about Jesus, and we will see this in just a second. In Him all things hold together. How many of us feel like we're falling apart? In Him, He holds you together. He holds me together, and he holds this whole tiny little speck called earth together. Nothing is outside of his reach. Nothing has caught him off guard. Nothing is like, whoa, I don't know what we're going to do about that thing. Nothing. He created all things, and in him all things hold together. That helps me sleep at night. That helps me sleep at night. And then the fifth one is he is faithful and true faithful and true to all of his promises. He is unchangeable in his word as well as in his nature. We're going to talk about his nature next week. He is unchangeable in his word and in his nature. Thank you, Jesus. And it says this. He says, this is my name forever, Yahweh, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. There's a passage in Revelation 19, and it's prediction of the Lord. It's prophetic about the Lord's return. And it's one of, it's just beautiful. It says, I saw the heaven open and behold a white horse and the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Faithful and true. Yahweh is faithful and he's true. I can tell you this, some of the sifting seasons in my life have been a crisis that's brought about a deep, deep, deep crisis of faith in me, a doubt. Are you faithful? Are you true? Have you abandoned me? Have you left me? And the Lord is like, just, we're shaking it off. And he shakes it off. And what has risen to the surface is, yes, you are. You are faithful and you are true. And I can't explain you. I can't get you in a box, but I know in my guts you are faithful and true because you have taught me that and there are times I can't even explain how he's taught it to me but the scriptures that I've taught have become gut level real to me because of sifting seasons in my life several years ago my husband and I went through a difficult um, walk together as we 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 changed vocations we changed we left the church and it was a difficult departure and we walked in a hard season together and I came out of it and the Lord Yahweh was so tender and so healing in my life and so altogether present. And there was a friend of mine that I reconnected with years later. And she was doing an article about me. And because, you know, I'm really, it's amazing what a big deal I am. She's doing a, an article. <laughs> 
so she's doing an article, and she's asking me all these silly questions, you know, like, I don't know, what's your favorite pastime, and, and blah, 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 all these questions. And at the end, I see this, okay, this question is just for me. It won't be in the article. What would you tell me about God? That was her question. And I loved it, and I just sat there. And I knew I, in my guts, I don't know if this is true because I didn't ask her, but I thought this might be true because she was in a hard season at the time and she had watched me walk through a hard season. And she wanted to know how I got to the other side. I'm assuming that, but I think that that may be true. But she said, what do you believe? What do you really believe about God? And I just said, the thing that came out of me was he's worth it all. He's faithful and he's true. He is faithful and he's true. Yahweh. He will not leave you. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. He will not allow you to derail. He will not leave you in the pit. He is faithful and true. And the day is coming where he comes back on a stinking white horse. There's a guy that I follow, a great theologian in our day-to-day, and he's interviewed a lot on CNN and stuff, and he was interviewed with other religious leaders of different varying religions, and at the commercial break, he said that the gal that was interviewing them just laughed at him in particular and said, I just can't believe that you really believe this. You actually believe this? Because I can't remember exactly what he had just said. And he said, you think that's crazy? Let me tell you what I also believe. I believe that this God's coming back on a white horse and his name's faithful and true. Chalk that up. I believe it. (laughs) And I just laughed because I thought, I do. And here's how this belief moves from our head to our heart. Our heart in Scripture, the heart is also defined as your guts. It's the most real place. It's the guts. It's what you really believe. It moves from our head to our heart through this sifting season through this sifting season, and every misunderstanding begins to fall off. Oh, see, I thought you were temperamental. I thought you were punishing me because of this. I thought you were mad at me, and that's why you let this happen. God's saying, babe, mm -mm. I proved my love for you through Jesus. I am Yahweh. I am faithful and true, and if you'll just trust me, you're going to come out of this, and your marriage is going to be better, and you're going to be a lot sweeter. Because you're going to know me, and you're going to know that I'm faithful and true, and that's what pure gold is. That's what pure gold is. Pure gold is not that I'm more patient. Pure gold is I know Yahweh. I'm connected to Yahweh, and as a result, I'm more patient. But I know him. I know him in my guts. Do you know him in your guts, girls? Do you know him in your guts? Do you know him in your guts? He wants you to know him that intimately. So much so that I'll wrap up and close with this, but here's how that picture, okay, this is bent, so just work with me here, okay? Um, Can y'all see this? (laughs) We're slick here, aren't we? I'm telling you, y'all, we got this thing down. All right. This is what it looks like. There's me, and here's Yahweh. And this is what every other religion might look like initially as well. Is It's just another version of a mountain. But I am trying to get over here to him. I'm trying. I'm trying. 
There's a chasm between us, and the chasm is brought about because of sin. Because he's holy, he's pure, and I'm not. And so here's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to clean myself up so that I can get into the presence of Yahweh. I want to be reconnected. Here's the thing. Even if you haven't yet identified that, we are all born with an aching need to get reconnected to our creator. It's a God-given need. And so here's what I do. Okay, well, maybe he is cranky. Maybe he's mad. And so I'm going to be really good. I'm going to be real good. And maybe that's going to create the bridge I need to get to him. And then I realize after a while it doesn't. I'm like, dang it. All right, well, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step it up a notch, and I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm not just going to serve. I'm going to serve on Thanksgiving morning. That's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to do. And you know what? I'm going to step it up another notch. I'm going to get a tetanus shot, definitely get the tetanus shot. But then I'm going to fly somewhere to some foreign country, and I'm going to drop off some flip-flops. And I am going to love poor kids. At the risk of their runny nose getting on me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to serve because I want Yahweh to approve of me. I want to get reconnected to Yahweh. Wow, dang it, that didn't shoot. Okay, I'm going to step it up even more. I'm going to be sweet to Jason. (laughs) Just stop right there. Stop right there. And so you just fill it in. I'm going to give my money away. You just fill it in. All the different things, the tactics, the striving that we do to get over here, to get crossed over and to get reconnected to Yahweh. And scripture says your best works are as filthy rags. And here's what God does. Here's what Yahweh, this uncontainable, crazy, unpredictable God that doesn't ask my opinion before he acts, This is what he does. He sends Jesus. He sends Jesus. And this is what he says. It says, this God, this is number six, the sixth point about Yahweh, is he he draws near to us. He draws near to us through Jesus. Through Jesus. Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. In John 8, 56, Jesus is talking to some of his disciples and some of the Jewish leaders, and he says, your father, he's speaking to them, and he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he was to see my day. He saw it, and he was glad. Abraham understood who Jesus was, and the Jews then said to him, wait a second, you're not yet even 50 years old, and you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was I am. He says, Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. What has he just done? He's saying, you're looking at him. I am Yahweh. If you want to know who Yahweh is, always look at Jesus. Always look at Jesus. And so this is what he did, is he bridged the gap through Jesus. Here's what people would do. They would always give some sort of sacrifice so they could just somehow be in Yahweh's presence for just a little bit. And Jesus said, I'm going to send the final sacrifice, and his name is Jesus, and he's going to die on a cross, and it's going to be a brutal death so that you, through the blood covering of your sin, of Jesus' body, can be back in relationship with Yahweh. 
That is the God that we serve. That is the God that we serve. He's not chicken soup for the soul. He's not a self-help God. He's not 10 steps to a better life. He is this uncontainable, unexplainable, wild, good, passionate, loving God that created everything. And yet he wants to be in relationship with you and relationship with me. And so that is where we start. If you, like me, find yourself in a wilderness or a sifting or a shaking season and things are unsteady and they're unpredictable, the very first thing that you might want to know is who's Yahweh? Who is he? Who's shaking me? Who's allowing this to happen? And what's his intention? It's Yahweh. Okay, I'm going to sleep better at night. Yahweh, could you make this end very quickly? (laughs) But I trust you. I trust you. Let me pray for us and then we'll continue on next week. Lord, we thank you that you are good. You are worthy of our trust. Lord, we thank you that you are not a God that is to be defined by our circumstances. So if we're in a good week, you're a good God. If we're in a hellacious week, you must be a vindictive God. You are Yahweh, period, the great I am. And you invite us to walk with you through Jesus. Lord, I pray that in this sifting season that we might find ourselves in this semester, Lord, would we engage with you through Jesus and begin to walk more closely, more intimately with you and come out on the other side recognizing he really is good. He really is present. He really is faithful. And he really is true. Lord, we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.